Welcome to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. I'm Editor-in-Chief Dr. Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Dr. Sarah Wright. We're bringing you a special episode with our guest, Dr. Andy Knepps. Andy, we are so excited to speak with you today. Andy is an equine surgeon and sports medicine veterinarian at Knepps Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Beverly, Massachusetts. In this episode, we're going to talk about Andy's manuscript, A One Health Perspective, Use of Hemoderivative Regenerative Therapies in Canine and Equine Patients. Dr. Knepps, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, let's dive right in. So as you mentioned in your manuscript, regenerative medicine therapies have become important tools for the treatment of a variety of conditions in humans and animals. What new information can our readers learn from your manuscript to better serve their patients and their clients? The key is that the uh, derivatives of whole blood, the hemoderivatives, are readily accessible under a variety of different circumstances for veterinarians or for physicians with uh, treating our veterinary patients and humans. That's probably one of the most important aspects of uh, uh, of thought along these uh, uh, regenerative therapies that are in the paper. That's excellent. I bet that can apply to a wide range of species too. I know we're talking about horses and dogs and people in this manuscript specifically, but just thinking of my personal wheelhouse, which is more like in the zoological and aquatic realm of things, I think there's really cool applications for those species too. What are common misconceptions about hemoderivative regenerative therapies? One of the most common uh, misconceptions is that the uh, these particular therapies should only be saved when nothing else works. Actually, they should be right in the front line of treatment. And uh, so that's uh, that's a concept that hopefully the paper, paper will help uh, expound on. A second factor is that these treatments are not usually very expensive. They're, again, accessible both to the veterinarian and to the client. That's great. It's always nice to have a great tool that is financially feasible for our clients to help with their animals. And then what is the role of the veterinarian in addressing misconceptions and educating their clients and the general public about hemoderivative regenerative therapies? The veterinarian can bring to their clients the fact that uh, this particular approach of therapy is oftentimes really an improvement over conservative methods of therapy. For example, uh, resting a horse or a dog uh, by intervening in this essentially natural way, you can enhance healing and improve the quality of healing, not necessarily just faster healing, but an improvement in the end result. Yeah, thank you, Andy. I, I definitely agree with you. I was recently teaching at a course, a human knee surgery course down in Florida, and one of the human knee doctors who spoke before I did said, uh, somebody in the audience asked him about regenerative therapies. And he said, well, you know, these aren't for everybody. These are only for our elite athletes. And uh, <laughs> obviously you and I disagree. And they really should be the first thing you think of, not 
as you said, not when everything else fails. This isn't a this isn't a rescue for when corticosteroids fail. This should be thought of before corticosteroids because of all the things you said. It's not just anti-inflammatory, but it actually has pro-healing properties as well. Exactly right. The other point I'd like to emphasize that you made, and you and I talked about this a while ago, um, because you and I were talking about how much does it really cost and how much is a veterinarian or the human doctor charge for an injection of steroids versus the PRP? And it's really how you mark them up. So how much is your office visit? How much is it to do the injection? And the a small, small component of that is the actual cost of either the steroid or the hyaluronic acid or the PRP. Uh, so, I, you know, and I think people mark them up a lot because, wow, if sometimes you think, well, if clients aren't paying a lot, it must not be very good. Uh, but but I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. So I just want to reemphasize those couple of points. Good. I, I know you're in private practice, which uh, can be, and, and have a wife who has <laughs> high-end horses. So you're you're getting it from all angles. And I know I kind of twisted your arm to write this uh, manuscript because I really admire how you think and how you practice. Um, but other than me twisting your arm, especially again in private practice where you don't have the protected time for academic pursuits like writing, how, how did you, I convince you or what inspired you to write this manuscript? Well, that's, I, uh, I did truly appreciate uh, being asked, and then I had to face actually doing the work. But it's it's not work at all once it's all said and done. The I'm highly motivated to do things like uh, write the manuscript or prepare uh, uh, presentations for meetings because every time I do that, I delve into it, get the latest research that I have access to. And I uh, use that to build my knowledge base, add that to my clinical experience, and come out, uh, I feel a little bit better veterinarian each time. Yeah, thank you. I, I learned a lot from your manuscript, too. Uh, so thank you again for sharing that with us. Uh, again, you're in private practice, which I truly admire for all the things that you've done. We've served on committees together uh, eating at some shady places together. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and you do far more teaching than I actually do. And if 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 you're going to give somebody a couple, two, three life lessons on how to emulate your success in private practice, yet be an internationally known teacher and author, how what advice would you give them? First would be to be persistent. And that's not necessarily the top of the list, but it's the first one that comes to mind for me. And then second is to empathize. Empathize with the dog, the horse, and their humans. Put yourself in their shoes as much as you can, as much as is practical. And then third on my list would be to make sure you have fun doing it. That's great advice. And I definitely resonate too with the be persistent piece that you shared because that was advice that was given to me as a veterinary student when I was pursuing my very first project, which led to my first manuscript. So hopefully our listeners out there too can appreciate that and take that with them as well. 
So you're very accomplished, like we talked about. You're a diplomat of both the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation. How has your experience in your advanced training programs changed your perspective on One Health? That's a great question, uh, and I appreciate that. The, the, uh, the key, the more you learn in a specialty or in uh, now a couple of specialties for me, is that everything's interconnected. And the physiology, the pathology, and so many of the clinical uh, issues are very, very similar between species. And as also part of my training, the training for specialty uh, work, residency training in particular that I'm familiar with, is also just as rigorous for veterinary specialties as it was for the uh, uh, human surgeons uh, in their residency programs that I shadowed, had the opportunity to shadow the human surgeons in a, a local teaching hospital for three months as a resident myself. Comparisons between the human disciplines, the veterinary disciplines were very, very similar. And it gave me confidence in both being a veterinarian and the fact that we're being taught rigorously, but very, very, uh, in a very, hopefully, uh, positive way uh, that we could apply to our patients. Sounds like an amazing opportunity. What do you think the human physicians that you shadowed took away most from your presence being there as a veterinarian? Uh, when, when I had the opportunity, I would, you know, ask what, you know, at the time may have seemed like a a uh, uh, stupid question, but we've all experienced there are no stupid questions. So just keep asking them. Uh, so I'd ask something and then make a comparison to uh, something in the horse uh, that I'd seen recently, like a soft tissue injury. And they would say, oh, yeah, we see that, but we, it shows up this way and whatever. And so they, I think, I think they didn't say, uh, appreciated that uh, I had something to offer based on uh, my training. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. All right. And this is our listener's favorite question. If a veterinarian is about to meet a client, what is the one piece of information they should know about hemoderivative regenerative therapies? That these hemoderivatives, these, uh, uh, these therapies that are derived from blood are natural. They come from your dog or your horse, are gently processed, and go back into your horse or your dog to enhance healing. And that they are accessible both by, by the technique of processing and cost factors. Yeah, all really great points, Andy. Thank you again. You know, in our in all of our professions, you talked about human medicine, but in veterinary medicine, I'm sure the same would be true in dental. And even for our younger kids, the word grit is really quite trendy right now. And I would say that at least for sure you and I think both Sarah and I have grit. Where did your grit come from? 
Uh, I, I have to blame my father for this because he put a pitchfork in my hands as a youngster. Uh, and uh, I think I was throwing hay bales probably when they outweighed me. Um, and uh, uh, that uh, commitment to taking care of uh, uh, the animals at, uh, at home and uh, the horses on the farm all just locked in with me. And uh, that uh, uh, commitment to, to care uh, started way back and has stuck with me. I love hearing that. I was actually at a veterinary leadership conference this past weekend. And one of our speakers, Dr. Larry Firkin, said something very similarly. And he's like, was saying that that's why vets are so compassionate and they're drawn to this career because they really developed that love for it early on and can foster that too in their personal life that turns into professions. So very spectacular. And we're so lucky to be a part of this profession. It's the best darn profession possible. And uh, I, I'm, I'm still here and still saying that have all along. I love that. And so many people I think can really resonate with that. And it's just been a pleasure getting to talk with you today and hearing about your passion and your manuscript. And thank you again for sharing your manuscript too with our readers. Great. Thank you for having me. Of course. You can read Dr. Knapp's manuscript in March Print Jaffma or on our journal's website. I'm Dr. Sarah Wright with Dr. Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to. Thank you again, Andy. And for our listeners, until next time, take care, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you.